What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy and subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the What Are You Made Of podcast with your boy, Mike C-Rock. So glad to have you here. I always like to start the show off with gratitude because I'm so thankful to be in a position that I'm in today. And I couldn't do it without your listenership, your support. And uh, before we get started with our guest today, Justin Breen, I want to just remind you to go to themikecrock.com and register there to get a free copy of my book that's coming out. It's called Rocket Fuel. And you can get a free copy there. Just go subscribe there. And also it gives you access to all these podcast episodes. And if you'd like to listen to these as well, Apple, iTunes, or Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. So with that being said, I want to get into our guest today, Justin Breen. I'm a fan of not reading bios. I like to let you tell us what you're made of. And so Justin, first of all, welcome to the show. It's really great to be here and uh, love your story, overcoming things and just getting it done. I'm the same way. And look, just so uh, he's got a book that uh, we're going to talk about here in a minute and I I scanned through it. This is a perfect fit for the What Are You Made Of show. And remember guys, the dominating rule of the What Are You Made Of movement is to turn all setbacks, letdowns, negativity into rocket fuel, not just fuel, rocket fuel for your future. And once you become aware of this and wrap your mind around this, your life's never the same because anything that comes at you, you already know this is fuel for my future and it changes everything. So with that being said, Justin, what are you made of? Yeah. So I started my business. Uh, my, I was a journalist for 20 years and I'll give you the timeline just to tell you kind of how it works. So journalist for 20 years, February 10th, 2017, had my job salary cut in half just due to staff cutbacks and things like that. So I tried to find a full-time job, couldn't find a job. April 16th, 2017, I incorporated uh, my company, which is called Brepic. While I was still working full-time at a reduced salary, so over the next six weeks, reached out to 5,000 people to get my first five clients, so 999 rejections for every new client. Uh, I got my fifth client, resigned from my full-time job around June 1st, 2017, and then a couple days later, Robert Feeder, who's the top media columnist in the Midwest, did a story that I'd started my own firm. So it's just entrepreneur life, and what I've found is the best things that have happened in in my life have resulted directly from incredible rejections and failures and just learned so much from that and rocketed fuel my life to the next levels because of them. And so with that being said, where are you now? You have this agency, your, your firm, you wrote a book. Where are you now on your journey? Oh man, the journey's only beginning and I already have a successful global company that only works with visionaries and people with investment abundant mindset. So company's a little only over three years old and it's already exceeded my wildest expectations. And then the amazing thing about it is it's, it's only the beginning. I say something, the same phrase every day, abundance mentality is the only mentality. So people always ask me like, hey, how's your life going? And especially since COVID, I'm like, things are amazing. My family's safe and sound, have a super successful business that just keeps growing by the day. And I'm doing what I like to do and, and what I'm good at. So there's no noise. There's no outside problems. I'm just focused on enjoying my life. And it just keeps getting better and better. 
And what are some of the services your company offers? Yeah, my company only does one thing at a crazy high level. So I was a journalist for 20 years, created my entire business model based on how PR firms annoyed me for 20 years. So most PR firms send out useless press releases. And uh, as a journalist, you get hundreds of these a day from people you don't know. So my firm creates actual newsworthy stories. Similar to what I did as a journalist, it becomes a link on the client's website under news or blog. So it would look like a story you see in the New York Times or Chicago Tribune or LA Times or something like that. And I take that link and pitch it to media locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. If media is interested, put them in touch with the clients. So I have clients all over the world. I only work with visionaries who look at things as investments, not costs. So if someone says, well, what do you cost or charge within the first five or 10 minutes? Those people go away immediately. And what's left is this just giant incubator of geniuses around the world. And we're constantly introducing each other for mutual gain. And the byproduct is I'm constantly getting intros to companies around the world that want to hire my firm. It's very simple, very direct, and weeds out all nonsense. Now, how do you handle that when somebody does say, what's the cost? I say the people I work with ask, what is an investment would you look like? So I don't really get that question anymore because I used to when I first started. That's one of the chapters in my book, only work with people who look at things as investments, not costs. So what I found is people that ask, what do you cost or charge? They look at things in a transactional way. And that's the worst type of client because they're only thinking things as a transaction as opposed to a real relationship. The people in, who are clients or partners or in my network, they ask, you know, what is an investment would you look like? Because they're, one, they're serious people who look at things as investments, not costs. But two, they want to have real relationships and partnerships with you. And so those people are amazing because they're great and they're, they have the right mindset. But then they also introduce you to other people that think like that because usually they only hang out with other people like that. And then people that talk about cost, they're toxic because their mindsets, for me anyway, doesn't work. And then the people in their network, they usually think like that as well. So that if they did make a referral, it would be to someone who also has a cost scarcity mentality. So, a web of mess. That's what that yeah. would be. And, I, exactly. and those people go away from my life. So, you know, again, most of my day is talking to people like you around the world and, you know, thousands of them. And so 95, 97% of the population, entrepreneurs right now, their cost, scarcity, whatever it is. And I won't work with any of those type of people. I'm only focused on the three to 5% of people that really get it. And people with those type of mentalities, they're one of two types of people. One, they're running some of the most successful businesses on earth and they're enjoying their lives. Or two, they're on their way to becoming a person like that. And so I'm so direct, it just weeds out everything that I don't want to deal with and only focuses on the, the people I do. And it's like a magnet, just attracts the right type of people. Yeah. Now I saw something in the book. I think it might've been one of the first few chapters that it talked about the fact that you view partnerships as investments. Yep. Uh, you, you only work with people to do that, but you also look at your customers or your clients as your partner. Am I right with that? Yeah. And, and I don't understand why people wouldn't look at things like that. So I partner with this amazing digital marketing firm. And uh, essentially, like if their clients have PR needs or what my firm does, they refer them my way. And I refer a lot of people to them. And uh, the CEO of the, the firm, great guy, he's like, yeah, we, we partnered with this PR firm before and we always would send them really great things and they would never send us anyone. I go, I'd, I go, one, why were you partnering with them for so long? But two, like, I mean, minimum, minimum every single day, Monday through Friday, I send 10 really good life-changing intros on a global level. And then anecdotally, you know, I get three or four good ones every day. So I haven't done any outbound sales in years because it's just warm intro after warm intro from the right people. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I've talked to my people in our mortgage company all the time about this. Stop looking at things transactional. You know, the lifetime value of a real estate agent that sends you business or the client that comes to you, you know, it's just not only just their loans, but the referrals that they've, they're going to come across with. And That's then right. the intrinsic value of that. It's just, 
Yeah, it's crazy. And I'll be honest, I, I didn't always look at it that way, of course. I didn't know anything. Me neither. I didn't you know. know. And, so when I started my business, I didn't know what a W-9 was. I didn't know. I went to school for journalism, so I didn't know what an LLC stood for. I didn't know you had to pay taxes four times a year. So this is kind of what, at least in my evolution, and I've seen it from other people, it's a like a four-step kind of thing. One, it's get to get. So reach out to 5,000 people to get five clients. Then it's get to give. You're still trying to get, but you're, you're giving a little bit. Then it's give to get, you know, we're giving out all these amazing, amazing intros and you get some back. I'm a little bit still at that point, but I'm more at, you just give to give. You just, you just give all these great intros and organically these things come back to you, but I'm give to give for only the right type of person. If someone doesn't mesh with my brain, it's just not a good, I know right away it's not a good fit. And those, it's just, it's like a, it's like a magnet. So the right people magnetize very high level and then the wrong people repelled. Right now, this has only been three years now, right? That you started your business. So yeah, that's what I mean. So people are like, yeah, years. well, I mean, that's what my book's about. It's like each chapter is a lesson from, you know, something I learned from some of the top entrepreneurs in the world and then how I implemented it into my company. So I'm like, it's interesting you brought up, you tell your people about, you know, relationship as opposed to transaction. So when I wrote it in my head, it was like, oh, this is designed for folks that want to start their businesses or they're just starting it or they're trying to get to the next level. And, and they're like, well, this is how I built a global company in three years where I do what I want and make as much money as I want. I only work with the types of people that I like to. But to your point, the really interesting surprise for this is that there are a lot of founders and CEOs buying the book for their employees, for them to take the lessons out of out of it to make them more entrepreneurial or intrapreneurial in this case, so they can develop real relationships with people as opposed to, like you said, looking at things in a transactional way. Yeah. I just think it's amazing three years that you've come this far already. I know. Well, I think, and I really appreciate that, but I'm amazed too sometimes, but then also like, again, the book, like this is how I did it because of my directness, because I don't want to be everything for everyone. I want to be one super high level thing to a super high level type of brain that not and it's not doesn't matter what you do it matters who you are and so again what i found so this is why i can sit in my backyard and make as much money as i want to and all that kind of stuff like there's no gimmicks here like this is what i did and it talks about the highs and definitely the lows about like you know people think entrepreneurship a lot of people do anyway think it's like all sunshine and rainbows and you know it's the hardest thing you'll ever do is start a business and so i mean in my opinion based on what i've experienced like it's most of the really successful entrepreneurs i know and i'm guessing you talk to a lot of folks like this especially in this format but uh they've either been bankrupt or they've been through depression or horrible tragedies as a child or like ludicrously high anxiety or ADHD. And this is not the life for someone if you can't handle a lot of those things. Like if you can't handle that, I would recommend not being an entrepreneur because you just never know what's going to happen in this kind of thing, good and bad. But what I will say is when you learn from those experiences and you go through the bottom and then you get through that, like you get to this kind of place where I'm at where it's like you're just really enjoying your life and your family and having a successful business and you almost feel impenetrable in a good way. Yeah. Does that ever creep into your head though? So my kryptonite is complacency, being comfortable. And so when you say that something triggers in my mind and I don't know if it's right or not, I'm just telling you and being transparent with you that I start to think to myself, "Uh uh-oh, you know what I mean? That's, that's just what goes through my head because I feel like I need to be working. I need to be putting effort Mm -hmm. in and the production part, even if it's coming, it may have come from work that I've done before. And later on down the road, if I stop now, it won't continue. That's just a 
psychological thing that goes through yep. my mind. Again, I don't, I'm not saying it's right, but does that ever come up a little bit to you? Well, yeah, of course. And being an entrepreneur, you never really, I mean, again, based on my experience and then talking to other people, you never really feel 100% comfortable. There's always something kind of, that was my six-year-old screaming in the background, if you can hear him. I love it. I love it. <laughs> my, mine, I sent out to the yeah. pool, so. <laughs> yeah, whatever. So no, like, no, they come, they'll come in in a minute. Just, just yeah. be patient. <laughs> so, but, you know, we get entrepreneurial, but like, so, you know, the, but you just kind of get used to that. So because I'm so focused on the people I target and what my company does, and more importantly, to answer your question, my 10xing in life has absolutely nothing to do with revenue. It has nothing to do with employees. It has nothing to do with office space. My 10xing in life has to do with growing my network on a global level, because when you do that, it creates endless opportunities for your network and for yourself. And then 10xing experiences in life with my family, because when you have a really good family life, you have a good life. So because I'm so focused on that, a lot of the uncomfortableness has gone away, but it's still always, you know, it does creep in from time to time for sure. But, but again, when you go through the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur and you learn that things are going to be great and your company is going to be successful, you learn from that and then you implement it into your brain and say, okay, everything's fine. Yeah. Now let's peel back the layers a little bit. Let's go back to when you were a kid and you talked about reading articles and sports page and all that. Look, yeah. I loved... We had a couple papers, but I love the USA Today sports nice. sports uh, section. I mean, that's that was a kid. It was in color. Yep. I always look forward to that. And then Sports Illustrated episodes, especially oh, the one that came out in February. <laughs> no, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna say which one came out in February, but there was one particular one as a kid, a young boy that you always looked forward to. It had ladies in it. But anyway, I'll leave that alone. But the USDA sports sports page was the best. Like, talk about that, and you know how you had your fascination with journalism. So the USA Today, the best part of it, from my experience growing up, was the little graphic they put in like the bottom left corner or whatever of the front page, where there's little like stats and graphics, because I look at things visual, and I like stats. And I was a sports editor for 15 years, uh, papers uh, around the Midwest. So the first, one of the first photos in, that I've ever taken in my lifetime is me reading the Chicago Sun-Times newspaper on my mom's lap. There was no way I was more than four or five months old. And so... Growing up, I would read the Chicago Tribune sports section with my dad, and I've always wanted to be a journalist. Like, it's there's nothing else I've ever wanted to do. I'm very naturally curious. I like talking to the right types of people who are involved in super. I mean, I'm sure you get a lot of value doing this podcast because you meet all these amazing people who have overcome a lot of things. So, when I wrote stories as a journalist, that was pretty much the only types of stories I did. And that's what I do now for my firm. There's no difference other than there's a little bit of client information blended into it. So my natural curiosity combined with meeting and wanting to talk to the right people who are not ordinary, who are really up to game-changing things, it's perfect for being a journalist and what I do now. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's Mike croc.com forward slash book go get a copy and share it with your friends and family it will change lives guys i would not let you down now back to the show and do you consider yourself a good writer 
So I'm an exceptionally good writer, exceptionally good at getting people in media at a high level, and I'm exceptionally, exceptionally, exceptionally good at connecting people on a global level. And I'm a really, really good dad, average husband, and useless to society besides that. So I have no <laughs> other skills besides that. And I know that. Everybody laughs, but it, I'm not I'm not No, good. it's great, so, though. The, the average husband thing. Um, how, how can everybody we improve- laughs at that. I am an average husband. <laughs> what, 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 what weaknesses do you have? What can we do to help you improve that? Because I, I think that I'm you know, for the most part, I would say that's one of my strong points because I've learned coming from a broken family as a kid. Like I I don't remember my parents ever together, but my mom married a guy named George, my stepdad, and they didn't have the best marriage, but I saw what worked and what didn't. And I had in my head as a kid, I'm never going to let these these things happen that I've seen and witnessed as a kid. I'm always going to figure it out, even if I have to suck it up. Right. Mm -hmm. But uh, what what, what areas do you think that you could do better in? This is part of what are you made of, by the way? Everything. I mean, so my wife is not a visionary. Thank God. She's an integrator. We do, I don't even know what you call brain tests. So I'm action first. She's caring, compassion first. So it's a really perfect match. I dedicated the book only to her, not even my kids, because without her, I would be, if I married somebody like me, it would be, it'd be a disaster. So thank God I married her. Um, But yeah, I mean, so to your point, the reason why I'm such a good dad is my dad died when I was 13 and he was, so he was 61 when I was born and he was a World War II soldier and, uh, you know, he was a lawyer in the Nuremberg trials, president of an insurance company. I've literally never heard anyone say a bad word about him. So he died. The last time I saw him was right before he, he had a heart attack and he was on an operating table and he barely had enough strength to say goodbye. So when, and I was about to enter high school when that happened. So at that age, when your best friend and hero dies, that's a very difficult, you know, very difficult situation. Even if you did not have a good relationship with your dad, he was my best friend. So that's why I'm so focused on being a good dad to my kids, because I know how that feels to not have your father around or just have that taken away one day, just out of nowhere. And I mean, my dad was, he was 74 when he died. So old, but not crazy old. So, you know, I knew eventually because he was so much older, he was going to die. I just thought maybe he'd live a little longer. But yeah, that's my point is like, my priorities are, if I talk to someone, a potential client, and they're like, I'm like, they're going to bother me or take away time from my family, I'm not going to work with them. That's my disqualifier. Yeah. So that's so right. Yeah. It's so in my fabric. Like, again, that's why the uncomfortableness or the other stuff, like it doesn't, it does creep in, but it doesn't really matter to me because my foundation is growing my network to create endless opportunities for my network and myself and then my family. And so there's nothing else really gets in the way of that. Right. I love it, man. I love it. Well, look, so when you uh, are connecting people now, I, I've connected with tons of people and I'm, I'm going to ask this question for myself, but also for the audience. But when you start connecting with people, mm-hmm. there's, I have connections all over the place, right? So what is the best way to take advantage of the fact that you have these connections? What are some tips in regards to that? Because again, some people get connections, but they don't know how to don't one follow up or build the relationship. It's a really good question. And I'm glad you asked that because I try to explain how my brain works and answering this question actually helps me try to think of how my brain works because it's just so like in my brain. It's just, it's just how I interact with life. Okay. So let me land the airplane and I'm going to try and answer that as directly as possible. So how my brain works is I don't write anything down. I don't know how, how I do that, but like I will talk to someone halfway around the world and they'll say something totally obscure or just some random fact. And I'll be like, Oh, I know someone who thinks like that or does the same thing in wherever. I don't know, Florida. And then I'll just connect them. And then a week later, they'll be like, how did you know how to do that? We're best friends. We're partnering on something or 
before this this one of the best conversations i've ever had and i go i don't i don't know it's just it's just in my head to do that so most people don't have that superpower very very few people so how i leverage that i guess is when you are constantly connecting people at a super high brain level or in ways they can benefit from each other the natural byproduct is you get people who intro you to other high quality people and um that's, so to, that's so basically to, what i do all day i mean all day it's a snowball it's a snowball effect it's a again so that's what my company is it's this incubator of geniuses around the world and we're constantly introducing each other for mutual gain and the byproduct leverage take advantage whatever how you ever want to phrase it is i'm constantly getting intros to companies around the world that want to hire my firm people that want to connect at a crazy high level to make other high level introductions and so to your point it literally there's and that's why I'm so excited about this because my 10xing is growing my network on a global level because there's literally no limit. I mean, 8 billion connect, whatever the human population is, but like there's no limit in your lifetime to what types of connectivity you can achieve through that. And the result of that is there's no limit to the things that can happen because of that. So it's, re- it, it's a snowball. It's a blob of goodness. I don't know. It's just whatever it is. It just never stops growing. And what about, let me to add to that, with the people that you are connecting, when you make a connection, how does the, how do the people, what do you, have you seen with the most successful people in how they leverage and, and utilize the connection? That's a really good question. So that's a high level, deep thinking. And I've because learned from it, those it, types it, of people because I watch what they do. And then I, yeah. And by the way, the reason I asked that, because <clears> you always hear, you have this in your book too, your network equals your net worth, right? Right. But if, if people have this network and they don't know how to use it or operate yep. with it, then it doesn't really amount to anything. So here's what I've seen. And the way you asked that made me think about this. Here's something I've seen from the most successful people. And you kind of mentioned this earlier, but a lot of times you'll have a conversation with someone and you think it's great or whatever, and then it just dies. There's no follow-up. From what I've seen from the best people, these are people mostly running seven to 10 figure businesses and doing super cool technology or whatever to help society. So what I've seen from them is they actually listen to what the other person says and then implement, if you want to call it implement or scribe some type of follow-up response a couple weeks later or a month later and incorporate what they talked about in the thing and just checking in to see like, how are things going? How did those intros go that I sent you? Anything I can help you with now? And my brain, it's like a CRM of doing that constantly. Is that a good, that's a pretty good way to describe it. That's awesome. I love it. My brain's its own CRM. Yeah. I don't have a CRM. I just have a brain that does this. And I can just, I can absorb so much information. And when people, the right people say the right thing, I just, just get squirreled away somewhere. Now, and Um, where do you keep all your contacts though? Do you just social media or? So that's a good question too. Most of it's just in my head, but I have 40,000 plus followers on social media and I use social media. Here's another thing that a lot of successful people do, and I do this as well. And I definitely consider myself successful in this type of thing. I, uh, so that was by the way. So now that new client just sent me a text saying your uh, bank account just gained some new value. So that's a, it. Right. Ding. Yeah, that was. Ding. <laughs> and so the other dings have gone off because, or I turned them off because this whole conversation you'd hear ding, ding, ding. And, the, and you know, those dings are LinkedIn replies from messages I've sent to people, intros. That's what it's just ding, ding, ding. ding. So is that the 5,000, the 5,000 um, contacts that you reached out to when you first started your business? Was that direct messages? It was a lot, or- a lot of, a lot of direct messages via, at the time I had 37,000 followers on social media. So Facebook friends, LinkedIn, Twitter. 
and, and I had to be it. careful because I nobody in journalism knew I was doing this. So there was there I, there were no conflicts of interest. But I was working full time as a journalist at a reduced salary while starting a business. And the reason why I resigned when I got my fifth client was because that five client you know income matched what I had been making as a journalist before my salary was cut. So gotcha. yeah. I wanted to have the same at least have some type of a runway before I started. So and and did you when you were doing the five thousand, were you looking at yourself as that time as a great connector? Or did that develop in the last three years? <laughs> okay, so that's a man, dude. You uh, you totally get it, dude. So um, writing the book taught me what my company really, what it really is. That was the coolest thing from my perspective. Writing the book that it's not a PR firm; it's this incubator of geniuses. And then I joined this program called Strategic Coach, which is an international entrepreneurial organization. And just as background, so it meets in LA, Chicago, Toronto, and London. So I go to the Chicago group because it's. 10 minutes from my house. I'm the only one from Illinois in my group. Everybody else flies in and it's all CEOs. And so this is very high level. So anyway, the second meeting of uh, that group, uh, his name's Brandon. His dad is Chris Voss. So he wrote the forward to my book, Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference. So, so Brandon's is, Brandon's a great guy and he's Chris's son. He was the president of Black Swan Group, which is Chris's company. And Brandon looked at me during the second session. He goes, dude, you're just the connector. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, no, dude, you're just the connector. And that was a year and a half ago. So no, I had no idea this was my number one superpower. And two, I'm really excited because I've only like, I've always been good at connecting people, but not like this. This is a totally different thing. And it's only been a year and a half. And there's, I mean, the opportunities from doing that are, it's insane. That thing. Do, you, do you, do you remember your, uh, your script or pitch? Not necessarily script, but like your first contact when you're reaching out to someone on LinkedIn or uh-huh. Facebook, what you said to them? Yeah. So, uh, were they looking for anyone to write, uh, positive human interest stories, inspirational kind of things, overcoming the odds and or run social media accounts or things like that. And just shooting it out there as far as that goes, not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. And 5,000 over like numbers. It was was more than, well, it's a numbers game. And and again, (laughs) now if you want to have a one in 1,000 success rate, then go for the get to get strategy. I mean, it does work. It worked for me. It's just like what I do now, it's... (laughs) The closing rate's a lot higher. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, uh, one thing I want to end on here before we get into how my audience can get in touch with you and engage with you further. Um, You talked to one thing about here, and this is something that I talked about recently um, over the last year when I went to a Yankees game in Manhattan. But you're talking about if you're having a bad day, week, month, tell someone. And so the journey, I use this and I had a blog and a podcast about this. But the journey to success is often invisible. So we'll see all these successful people and then we'll go through something on our journey to go to where they're going. And then too many people quit because they they run into the situation and they're like, this isn't supposed to happen. So-and-so didn't have this happen, you know? And so I met uh, Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs or Dirty Work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was in Manhattan in a little bar after a Yankees game and down from Rockefeller Center. And my brother said, hey, that looks like Mike Rowe over there. So we went over and talked to him. And come to find out he's from Maryland where I live. We, we, right. we connected. But the fact of the matter is I said something like, listen, I want to learn from people like you because the mistakes, if any, that you made, I want to learn from them. And maybe I'll be able to skip them or, or what have you, and speed up the process, right? So he goes, this is what it was all about. He goes, mistakes. Wow. Yes. There have been many. And that, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Of course. 
So the reason why I wrote that chapter, and I'm, I want to read, I actually have the book in front of me. So this guy, Dr. Uh, Michael Freeman, he's a clinical professor and an entrepreneur. So he interviewed 242 entrepreneurs, and I'm reading this because I want to have the data right. So of the 242 interview, interviewed, 49% reported having a mental health condition. So <laughs> more than half, one, that doesn't surprise me. I actually thought it'd be a higher number. but So that's depression's 30%, ADHD is 29%, anxiety is 27%. Those are the top three conditions. So, And that's the ones that reported because the other ones probably didn't admit to it. They, they didn't admit it. Yeah, <laughs> no. so... Again, if you can't handle that, then again, entrepreneur life is not, and that's fine. It's just not the, the life for you. It's just because you will go, almost certainly you'll go through something like that. So I wrote that because end of 2018, I had made more money in a year than I ever thought possible. And I'd never been more miserable in my life. So I'm like, well, aren't you, isn't, isn't money supposed to make you happy? Okay. So a lot of money, zero happiness. Hmm. So all of 2019, once a week, I saw a therapist focused on anxiety. And that helped greatly just to have someone to talk to that a lot of this stemmed from childhood and things like that that were never addressed. And also leaned heavily on my mentors. I've had mentors since I've started this company. 82% of entrepreneurs, according to research, do not have a mentor when they start a business, which is it's like, unreal. And it doesn't make sense, but people, they think they don't admit it and they don't think they think they can just do it themselves, which again, I like being the dumbest person in the room. So, and, and, and vulnerability, right? And I mean, vulnerable. being vulnerable. Right. So that's why I wrote the, you know, a main reason I wrote the book is to show like, you know, this is not sunshine and rainbows all the time. In fact, you're going to go through, if you think corporate life is hard, it's, I always laugh, like somebody complains about their, you know, their job in corporate, which I do empathize with, but like, I'm like, dude, you have no idea what real stress. And in terms of the stress that I've been through compared to, so I'm in like EO, which is entrepreneurs organization. I know entrepreneurs that have lost in two or three days, lost 90 to hundred percent of their business in two or three days. And, uh, but again, cause they have the right mentality, abundance investment mentality. They didn't panic. They just pivoted and just started another business or something like that. So entrepreneur life, but you know, Getting, talking to a therapist, which I, I don't see her anymore because I use the tools that she helped me with to, you know, learn from that and not have to do that anymore. And then more, I think even more importantly was talking to mentors who have been through the same thing. And especially one, Colin, great, great guy, man. He's like, yeah, every entrepreneur I know has been through exactly what you're going through. And the difference is, especially he was talking about himself, they've learned through, from it. They've learned how it makes them feel and that there will be, you will get through it. And that's what I've learned for sure. It's like, you just learn from it. And I've seen the business cycle now for three plus years, how it works. And I know it will be great. I just have seen how that kind of flows now. Yeah. And it, so it works better, uh, even though you think the anxiety, it's counterproductive, really. Uh, it doesn't really serve you as much as you think it does. So, But listen, Justin, I'm so glad that I got the opportunity through Greg Reed to connect with you. And shout out to Greg Reed for connecting us. He's the master. And- yeah, he is, man. And I look forward to seeing you at the Secret Knock whenever they can have it again and connect with you even further. So, but how can my audience engage with you, Justin? Yeah, so I have the atypical outlier entrepreneur <laughs> response to that. I have 22,000 followers on LinkedIn and I use it as like a commercial for other people. So connect with me on LinkedIn. You can go to my website if you want, graphicllc.com. But yeah, find me on LinkedIn and happy to connect. All right, guys, and go check out the book. It's unreal, man. I mean, I, I looked through it already. It's it's very easy to read. Yeah. Um, but it's it's phenomenal for if you're trying to start a business, if you have a business, 
if you want, you know, your, your employees to read it and understand business, it's, it's phenomenal. So, and where can they get a copy of the book? It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Walmart, Target, Books a Million, anywhere. It's an international bestseller in six countries and number one for entrepreneurship in the U.S. So Epic Business is what it's, what it's called. There. Epic Business by Justin Breen. Yep. Justin, thanks for being on the show on What Are You Made Of podcast. Guys, you've been listening to the What Are You Made Of podcast with your boy, Mike Rock. Please go subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or go to the website, themikecrock.com and get a free copy of Rocket Fuel. Until next time, be great. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, mikecrock.com forward slash book. That's mikecrock.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com. And let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C. Rock Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode.